I'm glad that you're uh, with us this morning. Uh, we are wrapping up the series that we've been in. It's a four-part series called My Church. And we've been talking about uh, the values that we hold as a church. And the values are different than the vision, right? The values are what help us to accomplish excuse me, the vision. Uh, they inform and influence how and why we do what we do. Uh, our vision is, is that we want to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. We believe that God has a plan and a vision for every person's life, and it's fourfold. And that is to know Him. Number two is to find freedom. Three is that you would discover your purpose, the reason that God created and redeemed you. And four is that you make a difference in life by helping other people and using those gifts and talents. And in doing so, you'll find fulfillment. That's the vision. The values are what, as I said, help to influence and inform how we accomplish that. We've been taking a look at uh, Daniel chapter 6, verse 3. That's kind of the theme verse for this entire series. Daniel was an Israelite man, but he was living in captivity. The Babylonian Empire had overtaken Israel. He's living almost as a slave. But he lives his life in such a way by a set of values or qualities that it catches the eye of the leadership of the country and eventually the king. And here's what it has to say about Daniel. It said, Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Not too often does it happen where a person living in captivity as a slave in another nation does the king set him over and give him influence and authority over a whole kingdom. It's because of the values that he held in his life. And we believe that the values that we hold, that God wants to give us even more influence and opportunity to meet the needs of this community. If you'll remember, in this county that we live, there are 140,000 people who say that they are indifferent or hostile to the cause of religion. And we believe that God wants to give us the opportunity and the influence to reach those people. And so the values that we've talked about so far are this. Number one, that my church enjoys life. That we believe fundamentally that God wants us to enjoy life. He said that he came to give us life, that we would have it in abundance, that we would enjoy it, and that it would overflow. And we believe that church should be enjoyable, right? That it should be fun. Yes, we'll talk about serious things and important things, but it's something that we should look forward to. It should be a highlight of our week. Our kids should even want to go to church because it is fun, but it's meaningful and it's impactful and it changes and saves our lives. Number two, we said that as a church, that my church, we exist for others. We don't have a mentality of us four and no more, and we, you know these four walls are it, but we exist for those 140,000. We exist for people who don't yet know who Jesus is, and we're going to fight with everything that we have to, to the tension to make it about ourselves and make it about our preferences because God put us on this earth to reach people, not just to build a building and fill it full of people that we like, but to fill the kingdom up for him. And last week, we said this, my church empowers people. See, we believe here that, that every person has a calling on their life, that every person has a purpose, and that, that the greatest things that God will ever do through this church, the greatest ministry that will ever happen, will not come from someone standing on this stage, but it will come from you sitting in the seats. That God wants to work through you, that he put unique gifts and talents in your life, and we exist to help you discover that, and then empower you to live that out, because the job of a pastor is not to do the ministry, but to equip people to do the ministry, and we can do a whole lot more together, and when we're all working, rather than if just one person is trying to do it. And today, what we want to talk about is the last value, and that is that my church encounters God. 
This is the most important of the four. We left it last so that it would stick out the most in your mind. That's why we've changed up the order of the service today. We're going to have a time at the end where we, we go into worship and have some communion where we can really just focus on encountering God. You say, well, what do you mean by encountering God? Well, here's what I mean. I mean that you have an experience or an encounter with the living God where he, he becomes more than words on a page or arguments that someone makes that you have an encounter with him where you know and you really begin to believe that God impacted your life, whether he said something, whether he, he did something, but it was exclusive to you and your context. And here's what I want all of you to settle inside of your hearts, or I should say inside of our hearts, is that God wants to encounter you. He wants to. He, he's done everything that he needs to do in Jesus to encounter you. He wants you to know that he's real. He desires a relationship with you so much so that he did what he did in his son, Jesus Christ. He wants it whether you think he does or not. And he wants to encounter you far more than you want him to encounter you. You'll never want it more than he does. And I just want to talk today about the importance of an encounter and then do we play a role in that encounter? Is there something that we can do uh, in, in encountering God, and what does that look like? But first and foremost, I just kind of want, want to ask you a question. How many of you have ever used this phrase when trying to describe an event that you've been to or something that happened to you? You're talking to a person, and the best thing that you have to say is, well, I guess you just had to be there. Anybody? You ever use that phrase like, you, you I mean, sorry, you just had to be there because you're telling them and it's so great for you and it was so amazing and they're looking at you like, yeah, I'm sure it was. That's awesome. But you're like, no, 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 you you don't understand. And then finally you're just like, you had to be there. Because if you were there, we wouldn't have to have this conversation. We'd be like, right, Uh uh-huh, oh, yeah, Mm, yeah, you got it. And everybody else is like, I don't know. See, we all have that because we have all experienced something that is, is really beyond words. It, it created a, a, a memory for us that's so powerful and so strong and sticks with us. And we felt strong emotions and we, we experienced something that, that has influenced or changed the course of our lives. And the best explanation we have is you just had to be there. I really believe that Christianity should be like that. I really believe that a relationship with Christ should be like that, that we should have those moments where we're trying to explain to someone and the best that we've got is you just had to be there. Like we, we've had an encounter with God himself in some form or fashion, whether in a corporate setting like this, whether at home, and I don't mean it has to be so crazy that nobody believes it, but it's personal and it's specific to you. And when you try to explain it to somebody, you're like, you just had to be there. And even though you don't have words and even though you can't paint a picture and, and adequately describe it in an articulate manner, you know that God touched you. As a church, I want everyone to have that experience. I know that we can't create it. I'm not trying talking about manipulating it, but I believe that God wants to encounter every person in a specific and personal way. We see it throughout Scripture. People that had personal encounters from God and their lives were never the same, right? Moses and the burning bush, crazy, never happened again. Paul, on the road to Damascus, literally sees Jesus. Jesus shows up to him and speaks to him and he's never the same. I think that there are two groups of us here today. There are those of us who say, man, I've, I've had that, you just had to be there encounter, right? Like, 
I know. I, I can take you back to where I was, how old I was, what I was wearing, those kind of things. I know. I, I've had an encounter. And then there are those of us that would say, ah, you know, I haven't had an encounter. I, I can't quite put my finger on something where I say that, man, I really had an encounter with God. Because maybe, I, Josh, I don't really know what you mean when you say encounter. Is it something specific? I want to encourage you that this message is for both groups of people. For those of you that have had the encounter, awesome. Congratulations. Kudo to you. Here's my word of caution. Don't get stuck there. Right? Don't build a doctrine off what God did for you. If God touched your life in some way five years ago and there was a certain song playing or you, you were wearing something or you know, you, the pastor was saying something or whatever, don't, don't, don't think that God is bound to the way that he touched your life. Because God wants to do something fresh for you. I think some of us who would say, yo, I've I've got that encounter. God touched me. You're frustrated in church right now because the methodology is different. And you're frustrated because God isn't touching or speaking or doing some of the same things that he did. And God's saying, hey, I did that in your life, right? That was 10 years ago. I'm over here now. And and I'm still the same God, but I'm, I'm just meeting the culture where they're at. I'm just moving in a different way. My encouragement to you is say, Praise the Lord for what happened over here. But God, I'm in 2016 today. What do you want to do? Because God wants to do something fresh. You remember what he told Samuel? Some of you may remember, but he said, Samuel, behold, I do a what? A new thing. That's the best that we got. Thing. That's the best translation that could come out of what God said. Behold, I do a new thing. What's a thing? A noun. That's the best I got, right? It's a thing. God wants to do a new thing in your life. Don't try to look in the past to, to paint the picture of what you want God to do for you today. Just say, hey, God, I need, an, I need a new and a fresh encounter with you. Secondly, you're saying, I, I, I've never had that encounter. I say, that's okay. God still wants to encounter you. And you say, well, what, what, what is that encounter? What does it look like? I don't know what it looks like for you, and I just thought maybe I could share an encounter that I've had and I'll leave it at the mercy of your belief system, and you can believe it or not, but it's true because, because I was there, and you, you weren't. But, but anyway, here is probably, out of my short 31 years in life, here's, here's the encounter that, that I've had with God that sticks out that has been the most profound. It was about five or six years ago. I'm driving to work. I lived in Arnold at the time. I worked at Joyce Meyer Ministries, spent about eight years there. I have a two-door Chevy Cavalier. It's white, and Lauren is, is pregnant. She's either had Carson or she hasn't, I can't quite remember, but we had made the decision that he, she was going to stay home with him and she wasn't going to work. And I was answering phone calls for a living, so I wasn't making much money. You know what I mean? Not enough, not enough to, 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 to pay for a new life. And we made the decision because we really felt it's like what God wants us to do. But I'm driving to work and I'm like, Lord, I know that I thought what was right, but I even looked at my bank account and my thoughts in my bank account didn't line up, Right? My prayers in my bank account didn't line up. I'm, I'm just worried. I am, I'm worried. I'm trying to pray. You know, I'm trying to say, God, you're good. You're holy. You'll provide. But I ain't believing a word of it. Anybody been there? I mean, I'm, just, I'm just saying what I heard other people say. And I'm driving, and, and I get to the stoplight there at, at 141. There's a shell station right by Springdale Pool, and you can turn off and, and go a, a back road. You can take a back way all the way to, to uh, Joy Smart Ministries. And so I decided to do that. And I'm on the back road, and I just felt like I needed to be quiet. I really just felt like I needed to shut up, which is really hard for me, really. And so I, I, I turned the music off and I'm just sitting in my car in quietness. And I, I, okay, I thought well, maybe, maybe God's going to say something, right? 
And, and I thought, okay, well, he's probably going to tell me, like, really the bad stuff that I'm doing, you know, all the sin and everything. And so then I get afraid, and I'm like, oh, man, I don't really want to deal with this today. I already feel bad enough. But then I just really felt, no, just, just, just shut up. So I, I turn on to the road that I need to go to get straight there. And my car became so quiet. I mean, like, more quiet than quiet. You know what I mean? Like, I couldn't even hear the engine or the tires or anything. Just, you ever had a quietness that was almost loud? You know what I mean? I mean, it was just quiet, and it was peaceful, and I was like dialed into the moment. I didn't even really know how I was getting where I was going. It was just quiet. And all of a sudden, in my car, and I can remember what I was wearing. I had a purple polo on. I had some ugly white sunglasses I thought were cool at the time. I'm driving. But I remember uh, there were four words that I heard God speak. Not, not audibly. I never heard an audible voice. But it was so loud inside myself. Here's the four, four words that I felt God speak. I am with you. That was it. That was it. I, I, I started bawling. I had to take the ugly sunglasses off because I couldn't see through them. There so, literally, literally, water was pooling up in my sunglasses. That was it. There was no like, no, thus saith the Lord, Joshua. It was just, boom. I am with you. It. Done. And I was like, whoa. That, that, that at 25 years old, out of 7 billion people on the earth, people whose problems are so much bigger than mine, way bigger, that God would interrupt my car just to say, I'm with you. I am with you. And that's what I mean by an encounter. And you know what? No one can take that away from me. You can disbelieve me, but you weren't there. And I mean that with all truth, because I was there. You can say it was just emotion. I, I, maybe. I don't know. It was just the song you'd been listening to before. Maybe. I don't know. But all I knew that God was with me. My bank account didn't change, right? I wouldn't get any more money, but I knew that God was going to take care of it. I knew that it was going to work out. So we, we all need an encounter. When words are not enough, right? When, when messages are not enough, when songs are not enough, when, when our prayers are not enough, we need to know that God is real and that he wants an encounter. You know, Jesus, excuse me, Paul said this in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Paul writing to the church that he helped plant, talking to them about an encounter, telling them what it really means and what happens when you have an encounter. And he says this. He says, whenever though they, and who's the they? It was them then and it's us today. Whenever they turn to face God as Moses did, God removes the veil and there they are face to face. You say, well, what's the veil? The veil is representative of anything that is a barrier or a hindrance to us encountering God, to us being in relationship with God. We don't remove that veil or that barrier. God removed it in Jesus. God stripped away the biggest barrier to, to having a relationship with him, and that was sin, and he dealt with it in Jesus. Jesus took that barrier upon himself, and it's gone, right? He said they, here's what happens, they suddenly recognize that God is a living, personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone. And when God is personally present, a living spirit, that old, constricting legislation is recognized as obsolete, and we're free of it. 
He says, what happens when you realize that, that God has removed that veil and he's open and his posture is ready to encounter? You recognize that God is not just words on a page. He's not just memory verses that you've memorized or verses of scripture that past us pastor has talked about, or in that case, he's not just the Ten Commandments that were chiseled in stone by Moses. He's a living, present, breathing God, and the the obligations and the restrictions of that law, although it was pure and holy, we were incapable of being good enough for God on our own. Jesus did that for us, and we can stand face to face with God himself and know that he is living and active, and we are free from all of that because of what he's done in Jesus. That's some good news right there. We can pack up and go home. But I just want to share with you based off that three reasons why an encounter is an important. All right, here's the first reason. The reason that an encounter is important is because we need power and not just words. We need power in our lives, not just words or arguments. Because here's the fact, I would venture to say that some, if not more than some, you're facing a situation right now in your life where you need power and not just a fancy argument. Where you need power and not just an encouraging word. Where you need to know that what you believe and what you're putting your life into is true. Because here's the reality, there are a lot of great arguments that exist today. There are. There are a lot of persuasive speeches and, and philosophies and things that we could believe about life that on some level have some truth and it could, it could be beneficial, but we just need to know, is what we believe true? Anybody ever struggled with Christianity or doubted it? I'm, I got both hands up. You can raise your hands. It's okay. You're not more holy if you have it. Right? We, we need to know that. How, how do we know that it's true? How, how do we know that, that Eastern way of thought isn't right? How do we know that the Hindus don't have it or, or Islam or, or any other religion? How do we know that they're not right? Because we need power, right? There, there are people in here today who have received a diagnosis that you need power. You, you need to know that if God doesn't do what he said he would do, you know the statistics. You know the end of the road. You need power. You need God to show up and heal you to know that it's true. The relationships that are in here this morning that are on the brink of, of disaster and breaking up and you need God to intervene and do what only he can do to save and rescue that marriage. But there are, there are parents in here today maybe whose children are not living the way that you, you raised them and you've been praying for them and you've been, you've been doing everything you can do and you don't need another word, right? You need power. You need God to show up in that kid's life and let them know that he loves them and he's got a plan for them and he's stronger than that addiction or stronger than whatever the case may be. Because we need power. And, and I think that Jesus recognized that tension even when he was here on earth because he said this. He said, hey, look, I'm not just going to come and speak. I'm going to back my stuff up with some demonstrations. I'm not just going to tell you that I can heal. I'm going to heal. I'm not just going to tell you that I can set people free from, from, from addiction and possession and things like that. I'm going to do it, and he did it. You know, there were a lot of arguments back then. The great philosophers of the day, the Aristotle and Plato, all those things, all circulating around that time. He was very aware of the arguments and the philosophy that was pervasive in its day. He said, I didn't come to get into an argument. I came to demonstrate it. And then Paul writing again to the Corinthian church. This time, this is his first letter to them. He's recounting to them why they believed and why they chose to follow Christ. And I love what Paul says. I mean, this guy right here wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, okay? More books of the Bible than any other man. He's, he's brilliant. He's a genius. He's just, he's, he's the man. Here's what he says. 
said, I came to you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Here's Paul, greatest apostle in the New Testament, says, hey, I didn't come to you with persuasive words. I'm not that articulate. I'm not a great speaker. I came to you weak and straight up afraid, but I don't want you to believe, and you're not believing because of what man has said. You're believing because of what you have seen with your eyes and the power of God that demonstrated itself. Because sometimes we need to see with our eyes or experience it and not just read it, right? I mean, I hope that most of you aren't here today because of some persuasive argument. I would have to believe that there, there is a reason beyond why you're here, that God touched your life beyond a great argument, beyond giving mental and logical assent to something. Because here's the second thing is, is that we need an experience and not just an explanation. We live in an age that, that seeks to explain everything, and, and I'm not immune to it. I love explanations. I love to understand. I will ask question after question after question after question and drive you nuts until I understand And I think, though, that sometimes we're more comfortable serving and following a God that fits within the realms of our intellect, with a God that can fit within the capacity of our brain to understand. We'll serve him as long as we can understand him. We'll follow him as long as we can logically explain him, right? We'll do what it is he wants us to do as long as we have understanding. But we need more than that. Because if we only will worship a God whom, whom will fit within the context of our brains and within the, in the limitations of our intellect, we have then created a God in our own image, right? We're then worshiping a God who's no greater than our ability to understand. He's no greater than us, and that's not very great. I mean, at times I think I'm pretty smart. I'll be honest, and so do you. Not me, but you yourself, right? I think you're pretty smart. But then there are times where I'm like, I'm pretty dumb. Anybody else? And if God is no bigger than our greatest brain accomplishment or intellectual accomplishment, then he's also as weak as our weakest moments of intellect and understanding and ability. But God is the creator of that. God created us and our brain and our ability to understand and analyze and and use logic and all those great things. He's so much bigger. Sometimes we just need to realize that, that the experience will, will precede the understanding. I've only been alive for 31 years, and I recognize that's not much. But I have this belief about God, and if I'm wrong, feel free to com- com- correct me, either via email or on a card or something. But I just really believe that with God, a lot of times, an experience comes before the understanding comes. It seems as though that God will do something here, and then when we're forward in life looking back, we understand it. My encouragement to you today is, is, is don't pursue the understanding to get to the experience. Know that the understanding will come. God's faithful. He'll give it to you. But be open to an experience. It's not an, an issue that, that's new to today. And Jesus told a story in, in, in John. There's a guy that he's been blind from birth. Okay, he, uh, he, Everybody knows he's blind. He lived, grew up in the community, born blind, could never see. As an adult, Jesus heals this man. 
miraculously heals him. He can see. He goes around telling people, I can see, I can see. Well, the religious establishment of the day, the Pharisees, the, the people that were just hated Jesus, right? They, they began to question him. Well, how, how did he heal you? And you know this guy is no good, right? He's a sinner. And they brought his parents into the mix. But was he really blind? I mean, like, really, was he born blind? Yes, he was blind. Well, why did he heal you? They're asking him all these questions. All these questions. And I love the blind man's response. Here's what he says. He says, finally, they turn to the blind man again and says, what have you to say about him? Here's what the blind man said. He goes, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. There's only one thing I do know. I was blind. Now I can see. That's it. I don't know. Is he a sinner? I don't know. Is he the son of God? I don't know. What does he preach? I don't know. Here's what I know. Couldn't see. Now I can. Deal with it. I think that in our lives, we need some of those experiences. How did God save your marriage? I don't know. I mean, we were ready to kill each other. Forced papers were signed. Hated each other. And then we love each other. How? I don't know. I don't know. How, how did you pay off your debt? I mean, how, how did you do that? Just, you know, I started doing some things and then just God. Well, how? I, I, I don't know. I, I think we all need to get to that place where we're okay with saying, I once was boom, but now I'm boom. And I don't know. I mean, I think at times being the blind man and experiencing that is, is part of life. We may gain the understanding on the back end. Although the blind man at the time didn't know that Jesus was the Son of God, or who, I guarantee you, because he could see, he went and found out who Jesus was. But Jesus didn't require the understanding of who he was to heal him. God isn't going to require you to understand all that he is and all that he does and how he does everything for him to encounter you and to touch your life and to do something for you. He'll demonstrate his power, and I guarantee you, you experience it, you're going to want to understand it. You're going to pursue him. You're going to seek him. Here's the third thing that we need, is we need, we need presence and not just practice. And not presence like you get at Christmas, but presence with a C. Because I, I like presence. But the presence of God, here's what I mean. We, we need more than just a spiritual routine, Right? We, we as a church, we need more than just you coming here and hearing some, hearing some worship and some announcements and offering and like an amazing sermon. And then, you know, and then you go, you go on throughout your week and then you come back and you just do it all over again. Like it just becomes predictable, right? Like even today you walked in and we did one song and we had you stand up and 95% of you were still standing because you thought we we're going to go back into worship. You know, the routine. Is that wrong? No. You've just been conditioned for the routine. A routine's bad? No, but we need more than a routine. Right? We, need, we need the life that comes that, that, that the routine was built around. Right? We, we, we need more than just, like I said, the explanations or just the words. We need the presence of God in our lives. We need the presence of God in this church and realizing that God is always with us. He ain't going anywhere because what he did in Jesus, he, he's with us at all times. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Questions about how do I know? If the presence is here, am I going to feel it? Am I going to jump? Am I going to shout? Am I going to cry? Am I going to run? Am I going to fall? What am I going to do? I don't think it's any of that. I think those things happen. But it says in the Bible, Peter, preaching in the book of Acts, the first sermon after Jesus ascends into heaven, he's preaching to all these people, and he quotes the Psalms. And he quotes David, and here's what he says. David says, You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence. You know, when you have the presence of God, you have joy. 
Bible also says, in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. We're, we're, seeking, you know, we're, we're seeking some particular manifestation or outworking of that when really it begins inside. Some of us want to cry. Some of us want to jump. Some of us want to shout. Some of us want to run. I mean, go for it. But don't seek those things. Just seek Him and joy. Because joy is not circumstantial. Joy comes from within. It's what God has done in us in Jesus. When you have joy, and the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength, you can face some crazy situations, some tough situations where you don't know how it's going to work out. You don't know how you're going to pay the bills. You don't know how you're going to buy your kids clothes and all that kind of stuff, but you can still have joy. It's the weirdest thing. Do you understand it? Nope. It's like, I didn't have joy, and I have joy, and I don't know. I just got it, right? Like, Jesus, he's, he's joy, and we need that. We need that joy. We need that because I think one of the greatest marks of the presence of God and the power of God at work in a life and in a church is the power of transformed lives, right? Where people's lives are really being transformed and really being changed. Where they once were this, but now they're this. The transforming power of Jesus and his presence. And as a church, we always want to be mindful of that. And, and, and I think our job is... is to kind of try to create environments, you know, where we can encounter God and we can, can gain some understanding and can break the routine and just be hungry for him. It's one question I, I want to attempt to answer and then we're going we're gonna to have an awesome time. Is this, is do I play a role in this? Do I play a role in God encountering me? The question could be, what do I have to do? But I think it's better to ask, what role do I play? Because Jesus did everything. Right? We don't have to be something for God to want to encounter us. Jesus already became everything so that we could encounter God. But I do think the one role that we play is this, is addressing the condition of our hearts and taking a look inside of us and saying, where am I at? How, how am I living life? How am I responding to the issues of life? How am I, how's, my, how's my emotional life and, and all that? How am I spiritually? Like, where am I at? God's posture is, I want to encounter you. I want you to experience me. I want, I want a relationship with you. What's our posture? Jesus was, was talking to some of his fellow countrymen and addressing kind of the reason why they weren't really believing him. They weren't, they weren't receiving Jesus as the Messiah. Right? They've been looking for him all their lives and centuries. But when he came, it wasn't what they were looking for. And he quotes Isaiah, and here's what he says, Matthew 13, 14, and 15. He said, In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will ever be hearing, but never understanding. You'll ever be seeing, but never perceiving. For this, people's hearts has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and here's the refrain, and I would heal them. He's addressing a group of people saying, hey, look, you, you've heard this from birth. You've been hearing, you've been seeing, you've been experiencing, but, but you're not believing. Why is this? Because your hearts are callous. He's addressing the condition of their hearts. He said, hey, if you would only address this condition within your heart, I'm here to heal you. That's a prophecy. And he's here to say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm here to do it. My, God's posture towards you today is, I'm here to heal you. I'm here to touch you. I'm, I'm here to experience you, to encounter you. That's God's heart. Question is, if you, if you address that, yeah, maybe my heart is kind of, 
kind of callous or kind of not in, in, in line where it should be. I want to give you three things today, three things, and then we're going to end, that you can do to address that. Hosea, the prophet, talks about it. He says this, he said, Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap the fruit of unfailing love, and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you. Sometimes the callous heart is like unplowed ground. Sometimes our hearts um, and our, our internal lives, they get really dry. You know what I mean? If you ever try to deal with dry land, dirt and land, it's just hard to break through. And it needs some, some plowing to break it up and get all the nutrients and everything back and going. And sometimes we have to allow God to, to deal with us, to break up those, those, those areas in our lives that are unplowed ground. And here's the, the, the lining for all of this, is that God is not angry with you. God is not upset with you. In fact, his heart and his desire is to help you. And sometimes that nudging and the, that, that pressure that he puts on us is, is so that we can plow the ground in our own hearts, so that we can move forward. Here's the three things. Here's number one. The first one is this. Is, 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 I call it desperation. We have, to, we have to want God's way for our lives. Desperation. And that word is kind of interesting because you think, well, being desperate isn't necessarily a good thing. But in this context, have you ever thought to yourself, man, there's got to be more, right? Like, there's got to be more to life. But have you ever thought that there's got to be more to being a Christ follower, to being a Christian? That there's got to be more to church? Anybody? I have. I'm not growing up in this thing, so you're not going to offend me. You ever thought, hey, there's, there's got to be more. There has to be more than, than, than the songs and the, and the message and the, and, the, and the stuff that we do in the program. There's got to be more. It's a point of desperation where you just say, God, I, I just want what you've got. And I know that you're so much bigger than I've ever thought. And in you, I've not cornered the market for you, Lord. I've not experienced all that you have for me. There's got to be more. Desperation, I think, is a great sign of God just pushing you and saying, Hey, I'm bigger. I'm greater. I got more resources than you think I do. I got, I got more healing for you. I've got more than you ever thought possible. And he responds to desperation. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. They will. It's a promise. When you're desperate, God, I just want your way. The second one is humility. It's being humble and saying, God, I don't just want your way, but I want your will. I don't just want what you've got. God, I want to do how I want to do it how you want me to do it. I think this one is probably the most difficult. Because I think if there's anything that keeps us from really encountering God and engaging him, it's pride. Right? And and pride is one of those things that's sneaky. Sometimes we don't really realize that we're prideful. I think pride is really rooted in fear. I really do. When we're prideful about something, we're, we're masking a fear that we have. We're, we're posturing and we're, we're compensating for something. Some of us have pride in this area where we've kind of drawn a line in the sand maybe and said, God, um, anything but that, right? I'll do anything but that. I'll go anywhere but there. I won't raise my hands above my waist, right? I'll do this or whatever, whatever the case is. God, I... You know, I, I'll volunteer, but man, I give my time, give my money. I don't think so. Whatever it is, we've all drawn that line. So God, I'll experience whatever except this. Or maybe he's asked you to do something in your life, and he's dealing with you in an area, and you're just not willing to give it up. Pride just steps in and says, God, I don't, I don't want to do that. 
I don't want to give that up. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm actually here to tell you that that's really normal. That's part of being, being human. And in fact, Jesus wasn't immune to it. You know, Jesus was praying in the garden before he would go to the cross. He knew everything that was going to happen. And he prayed this prayer. He said, God, our Father, if there's any way, he said, can you let this cup pass from me? If there's any other way to do this, to pay for the sins of humanity and do it, if there's any other way, God, can you just pass this cup on down the line? Even Jesus, I'm not saying that he was not prideful to the point of sinning. I'm not saying that. But even him, in his humanity, because he's fully man, saying, God, ooh, it's a tall order. Big stuff. And we see the proper response and that Jesus says this in Luke. He says, Father, nevertheless, not my will, but let your will be done. That's humility. Humility is not a sign of weakness. Humility is a sign of great strength. It takes, it takes a very humble, strong person to say, God, yeah, I haven't been, been doing that because I don't really want to. I, um, I think my plan is a little bit easier. Or I don't really want to go there, God, because I'm afraid. Anybody there? God, I, I, I'm afraid to do that. I'm afraid to take that step because I just don't know if it's going to work out. And it's in those moments of humility that I think God interrupts you on your way to work in a Chevy Cavalier with ugly white sunglasses just to say, I am with you. And then you can take it to the bank. I was afraid. I, I, I did not want Lauren to stay home because I didn't know how we were going to pay for stuff. I, I was afraid of, of, of going for it. I was, I was terrified. And in my weakness and in my humility, not because I was trying to be humble, but God just showed up. And I, could, I took that to the bank, right? That was, that was worth more than if you could have handed me $1,000. God, you, you, you met me where I'm at. And it's in those moments where you find that place of humility that you can do this third thing. The third thing is repentance. And this word has some strong connotations for some people. I think it's been used and abused, but repentance at its core, what it literally means is to change your mind, to, to turn. Where you just say, you know what, God, I've been, I've been walking this direction. I've been, I've been doing this thing. I've been thinking this way. But God, change my mind. I'm going to stop looking at the way I want to do it. I'm going to look at the way that you want to do it. Because when you, when you walk in repentance, it's that you really want God's work in your life. Repentance, I believe, is allowing the cleansing work of God to flow through you, to work through you, to heal you, to touch you, to set you free from, from the emotional and and all kinds of, of issues and drama that, that we encounter in life. And just say, God, your way is better. I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't even really know if I like it. But I'm going to do it. Or at least I'm going to start down that path. And I believe that that really starts, you know, when you realize that, that God loves you. And he wants to have an encounter with you. If you self-identify in any one of those areas, maybe where you're at on those things that you can do to plow some tough ground, here's my encouragement to you. I'm going to pray in just a moment, but the band's coming back up. We're going to worship. We're going to end this service and worship. we got time, right? We're like 20 minutes ahead of schedule right now. So I'm going to encourage you guys after I pray to stand and worship. We're going to do communion. I'm going to read the communion scripture, and then you can take communion at any time through worship. But my encouragement to you is just to stand and worship God. And go after him and say, Father, I just want an encounter with you. 
I want to experience you. And whether that happens today in this corporate setting or in my car or in my room or at my desk or at Walmart or in the bathroom or wherever, I just want to know you're real. I just need to know that you can break through the pain and the brokenness and the stress and the tension in my life and just know that you're real. Hey, God already did it in Jesus. He removed that veil. He removed that barrier. Just address the condition of your heart right now. Say, God, I got some pride. I've been a little too satisfied, but I want you. I want you. God doesn't need you to be perfect, okay? He just needs two things, honesty and brokenness. Just honest. God, I'm struggling. I just need an encounter. Brokenness is just, this is the midnight. Without you, this ain't going to work. Now, without you, this marriage is not going to survive. God, without you, this sickness is eating me alive. God, without you, my, my child, my son, my daughter, it's just, I need you. I've done everything I can do, God. I just need you. Bow your heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this moment. I thank you that you're with us, not because we have some crazy feeling, but because your word says that you are. You're here in this moment. And I pray, Lord, that as, as we begin to just kind of plow our hearts right now, that you're, you've just prepared this moment for us to worship you. I thank you for the grace that's been given in Jesus. I thank you, Father, that you've set us free from every sin, from every issue, from every problem that we face. And I pray that collectively in this moment, the problems that we're facing, Lord, the issues that are weighing so heavily upon us, can we just, can we just lift our hands to you and give them to you and say, God, do what it is that you need to do. I need power, not just words. I need an experience, not just an explanation. And Father, I need your presence and not just some spiritual practice in my life, but that you are a living, breathing creator of the universe who can break through right into my life. We thank you for that in Jesus' name.